here's where you have to know how to drop your golf ball. Sure speeds up play when you have those drop areas. Fowler has dropped the ball twice. The Shambo is going to get a free drop. Something bad has happened if we end up here. This is the drop zone. All right, folks. Happy Sunday afternoon in Seattle, Washington. Seattle, eight hours away from where my correspondent Sean Zock is in St. Andrews, Scotland, where it is nearing midnight. We'll probably cross the uh, midnight threshold during this conversation. A little bit of time travel for you, the listeners. But uh, welcome to the Drop Zone, Sean. It's nice to have you back after a, a little one-week hiatus. Yeah, it's great to be back. I enjoyed your conversation with Eddie Pepperell. Uh, Eddie is welcome back anytime on the podcast, and he might join us because homeboy damn near won today the Hero Open, which took place, gosh, couple miles from me here mm-hmm. in St. Andrews at the Fairmont. That's what was so funny is that you were at, you were interviewing Eddie uh, on his way to St. Andrews. I was no not not available at the time yep. and I spent all week kind of near him but but not close enough to introduce myself. But anyways, that's enough about me and Eddie in St. Andrews. What are we going to talk about today? Well, Sean, the cup overrunneth with content so it's actually kind of head spinning too many Um, tournaments i mean this was the week that sean crocker won and walked his way into your local pub want to talk about that we've got uh we've got the women's british open i guess now the officially the aig women's open this year they've dropped british from their name that's down the street from you this week i'm excited to get your thoughts on uh heading up to muirfield we've got of course the uh, golfers who are not politicians, but a a week that felt <laughs> awfully political on the live tour, and then of course we've got two time Tony Finau feasting Sean on the flyover states. Your home, the Midwest, uh, is now yeah. Tony Finau's home too. Two wins in a row. So I mean, there's a lot to get through. There's a lot to get through, but first we'll get through the ad reads. Can you tell me about our presenting sponsor? You can't tell people that they're ad reads because then they might not listen. But Radmore Golf is the ultimate podcast sponsor. They're the best. They've connected me with the t-shirt and pants that I'm wearing right now. Sean, I mean, I don't know what to tell people at this point. Head to RadmoreGolf.com. That's R-A-D-M-O-R Golf.com. Refresh your golf look. Refresh your vibe. Get. Uh, it's time to really start looking into getting some fresh sweatshirts for fall golf. Get ahead of the game. If you've got some summer birthdays coming up, um, use code DROPZONE at checkout to get 25% off your first order. Head there now. Sean, where do you want to start? Let's start with me, St. Andrews, Sean Crocker. Sean Crocker is the man who won, who beat Eddie Pepperell at the Hero Open. Uh, I was walking through town today. I walked past the Dunvegan. It is the most popular bar in St. Andrews, one of the most popular bars probably in all of Scotland. But anyways, on the chalkboard outside the entrance, they had adjusted it in the middle of the day. They said, congratulations, Sean Crocker, Hero Open champion. They don't often adjust the chalkboard in the middle Mm. of the day at the Dunvegan. But when one of their most valued, one of their favorite customers wins up the road, they had a feeling he was going to show up. And lo and behold, he did show up. So uh, Sean Crocker was there. I watched the Women's European uh, Championship down the road at the One Under Bar, but then I stopped back in and checked in on Crocker. And he was probably between Corona number 
three and Corona number eight, and I'd have no <laughs> clue which one. No, not definitely not Corona number eight. He was he was buzzing, but uh, having a great time. Uh, his caddy was in there, also having a great time. His buddy Ewan Ferguson, uh, who won for the first time earlier this year, he was in there having a great time. Uh, and I think as recently as a couple hours, it was like you know, 10 p.m. He was still in there posting stories to Instagram. So it's just kind of fun to see because I don't think Cam Smith like toured around St. Andrews. He kind of won, had his party, and got out of Dodge. A guy like. A guy like Sean Crocker uh, loves St. Andrews, loves the Dunvegan. He's gonna he's gonna party it up there tonight, uh, like he has many times there before. Sean, I've got the live stream on in the background right now. Dustin Johnson's putting out on his final hole. Greg Norman and Tucker Carlson are sort of standing off uh, on the edge of the green. It's just a bit of a surreal scene. But I want you to tell me in general, like, what's the vibe in St. Andrews like right now? We're now a couple weeks out from the open, but the DP World Tour is still in town. Uh, you just had the the senior men were playing their open championship. Uh, you've got the women are, what, 90 minutes away next week. Have no idea if that's accurate. But uh, what what is the summertime, late July vibe in St. Andrews? Uh, well, they haven't even gotten the grandstands down on 18 yet. <laughs> the big grandstand behind the green is... It's about uh, 90% down. The huge grandstands along the first still up. Uh, it's take It takes some time to take all that infrastructure down. But St. Andrews is back in the hands of us, right? The amateurs, mm-hmm. the people who, who often pay 270 pounds to play it or the people in town who play it 100 times a year. Uh, the people who struggle to reach the road that crosses the 18th and the first, mm-hmm. but like people who like thin their wedges to the back of that green, it's just, it's back in the way it should be is kind of the best way of putting it. Um, but what's cool about that is like intermixed among all those people, it's still a place where pros like pay their respects, right? Like I know players from the DP world tour were playing at the old course earlier this week. Kirk Triplett is a name people would probably recognize. He was playing there after the the senior open at Glen Eagles. Like it's really, it it has this like magnetic pull on pro golfers and amateur golfers that Bandon has this pull for all amateurs, but it doesn't really pull pros up there, right? Like pros aren't going on buddies trips to Bandon Dunes. St. Andrews has that pull kind of unlike a lot of other golf courses and especially public golf courses. It is a funny thing. I think sometimes golfers will figure, oh yeah, pros have played X, Y, and Z golf course, destination yeah. golf courses. You know, they've been up to Sand Valley. They've been to Cavett Links. They've, they've been up to Bandon Dunes. Probably not the case because these guys play so much golf as we've heard, you know, talked about quite a bit recently they don't necessarily want to play anymore if they have a chance to go on vacation it might not be to a golf destination so Mm -mm. um yeah i think that's a really interesting point the the old course is hallowed ground it's it's uh the beacon yeah it's a place to make a little pilgrimage especially if you are in town and i think it's cool that the dp world tour and also the pga tour have found a way to kind of extend this UK swing to make it feel Mm -hmm. more cohesive. And it's funny when you moved over there, 
maybe you had a better understanding of this. I'm sure you did than me, <laughs> yeah. but the fact that there's just kind of nonstop action around Scotland, it's pretty cool. Even once the PGA tour moves off to the Midwest. Basically for like a full month. Like if you take into the account that I, I met Joel Damon down at Renaissance club, South mm-hmm. of St. Andrews on the 4th of July. And will now have covered the women's open through the 7th of August, mm-hmm. just next door to Renaissance Club. In between that was the Hero Open up, up the street, the actual open here in town, the Senior Open at Glen Eagles, qualifiers all around Fife, and qualifiers for the women's open all around Fife. Like, it's just a summer full of Scotland golf. Yep. And, um, you know, it's not always the case, right? They don't always have an open in St. Andrews. They don't always have the women at Muirfield. We will cross country borders down to England next year for the men's open. But the whole point is like that, that's kind of what I, I did know coming into this summer. And, you know, maybe you just weren't looking six months in advance. Like I was, it's kind of tough. Yeah. I mean, I think that that would, that would check out Sean's the details guy. It's got the plans more in order that that's always been the case. Um, Sean, Eddie Pepperell, just one last note on this. Did you get a chance to listen to our interview last week? Of course. All right. That's good to hear. Um, Eddie, I was just so fascinated by this. His solution to getting out of his funk, he said, was uh, basically trying less hard. Stop it. Like he, he, his solution to missing a bunch of cuts was, okay, I got to get back to what I was doing when I was actually playing my best. And when he started playing well and then started to play not quite as well, he, he was pressing and, you know, his girlfriend, Jen said, Hey, Eddie, all right, now you're not playing well. And you're going to the <laughs> tournament courses on Monday beforehand. You never used to do that. You played Carnoustie when you almost won and you showed up Thursday morning without playing a practice round. So now this is his thing. He, he hasn't played a practice round since March. He said he was playing <laughs> elsewhere uh, in Scotland. He played Dumbarney. He, I mean, I don't know what, what the other courses were that he played, but he almost won the golf tournament. So fun fact and a little incentive for you to keep listening after the end of this podcast to my chat with Eddie last week. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny how that works. These pros, they go from state to state to tournament to tournament, but they all start essentially on Thursday and they all end on Sunday. And this is almost the exact reason why I caddied for Joel is because his his caddy Gino needed a bit of a break and you can get really stuck in this like funk of like stop to stop to stop to stop and if you don't get out and enjoy maybe the sights mm-hmm. of that stop or the various reasons why people live there and love that there you can just you can feel like you've been to a bunch of places but done the exact same thing and you cannot like reap any rewards of the differing locales. Um, and if your game doesn't like put you in a good place, you can just like find yourself grinding on the practice range that whole time. Yeah. That's one of the things he said. He said, I would get to Thursday. I'd be ready to go home because you just get tired out. And it's funny. I keep, I was thinking about that a lot the week we were in St. Andrews for the open that, okay, as much as we're intrigued by or envious of the chance that these players have to play in front of massive crowds play at the home of golf live it up in front of everyone take that famous walk you do wonder if they are also envious of the fan experience to some extent of people that can just walk around town who don't have to play until it's dark because they can just leave the course and they feel like it head into town go to the dunny get a pint 
and uh, you know, sneak off for some twilight golf at Ely. So yeah, I, and I think Scotland inspires that feeling more than anywhere else to me. I finished a round the other night at the old course at 10:40 p.m. local time, a full month after the summer solstice. I could not see my ball once I hit it, but I hit driver wedge into the 18th, and it must have gone right over the flag from where <laughs> I was standing. And I was thinking about that. I was like, holy cow, like that's something really only amateurs get to do. And the person I was playing with hit a putter from 125 yards onto the green, hole high through the Valley of Sin. And that is, again, something that happens at St. Andrews pretty frequently, but just never is experienced by Joel Damon, Mackenzie Hughes, all these guys. Like they have a very distinct golf lifestyle and it's different than ours. And uh, it's worth remembering that a lot of the time. Yeah. And it's pretty good life. Um, Sean, I've been playing a little bit of golf myself, headed out to your home state. I was in the Badger state last week playing Century World, uh, which is right in central Wisconsin, Stevens Point, Wisconsin. I was there with, well, sometimes drop zone co-hosts, Luke Curdenine and Claire Rogers. Uh, we missed you quite a bit out there, but Sean, the folks at Century World are doing some interesting stuff. Two things in particular that I think would intrigue our listeners. Um, the first is that they have settled on 20-minute intervals between tea times. <laughs> 20 minutes. Yeah. And the, the effect this has is you feel like you are not rushed. I mean, sometimes, you know, we take a little bit longer if we're playing courses and we were doing some filming, we were doing some, you know, interviews and stuff as we were going. So sometimes we're slow. We also know the feeling of being fast. And sometimes if it's just the two of us playing, we'll whip around a place in a few hours. And uh, with 20 minute tea time intervals, like you, you Mm -hmm. get the kind of the best of both worlds. If you're playing quickly, you can probably zip through someone and they're not going to worry about it because it's not like you're starting the chain of like, oh man, I'm just going to have to let everyone through if I let this group through. And if you're playing slow, A, there's probably no one that's going to catch you quickly. But again, if they do, you're like, yeah, you guys just go ahead. The course is not that crowded. Um, The second thing that they have are these unlimited snack stations, refreshment stations, they're called. Mm -hmm. And this is like a, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory vibe. (laughs) You open one drawer, there's unlimited different types of beers. Another drawer, they've got these pre-made mixed drinks they've got a full bar they've got breakfast burritos in the morning pulled pork sandwiches for lunch ice cream in the corner water candy healthier snacks chips um (laughs) and you literally just walk in and you take whatever you want because you've already they you know they've you're certainly not playing the course for free it's 200 something bucks to play but it's uh it's one of those little things that goes a long way towards making it feel like okay i'm not getting nickel and dimed once i'm actually out here they want you to have they good time. definitely definitely want you to feel like you have your own experience like they want you to feel like the course yeah you've is been there yours <laughs> like it's yours and no one else's course in that moment i'm trying to imagine a better perk at a golf course for dylan to chair than just, as, just <laughs> unlimited ice treats. cream <laughs> yeah i mean they had some little dark chocolate things that were pretty money um i mean we weren't like we weren't boozing big time because we were there for work. Uh, but I would imagine that that would be a corner of that perk that would get highlighted pretty regularly by, uh, the common customer. So Sean, they're playing the U S senior open there next year. So they tighten the fairways. 
it's plenty long it's, it's very it's in yeah. great condition and what what score did you make on the second up. hole uh the second is that the long par four yeah oh my gosh uh i think i made it you know par one day bogey one day but the whole place just just kind of beat the heck out of me yeah that second hole i believe is longer than i think the third hole which is par five or the fourth hole which is a par five or something like that there's like par four that is immediately longer than the par five that that um follows it in some capacity so that that alone is enough to show you that the, the course is long and green and lush and uh a good time but holy cow it can be tough you want to talk about tony finau sean for sure big the guy tone, that couldn't back win. to back yeah I mean, that's what he was famous for, right? Couldn't win, couldn't close, and here he is two weeks in a row. Last week at the 3M, uh, yes, he got a little bit of help from Scott Piercy, but once once he had a chance to close, he seized on it, made a bunch of birdies. And then the same thing happened this week. He was out in front. He was tied with Taylor Pendrith going to the final round, and then he shot five under 67. He birdied a four holes in the back nine uh slammed the door one by five i mean what is what is this about what does this mean for tony fina what what can we make of this i was way more interested in this week than last week because Ooh, tell for, me why for one the for one the field last week in minnesota was one of the weakest fields of the entire tour season uh more bigger names showed up at the at the detroit event this week mm-hmm. um but we we're we we're distinctly in vacation season. Right yeah. Now, all right. So last week was a strength of field of one thirteen. <laughs> this week two twenty seven. So that's a big yeah. big difference. Yeah. Double. Um, but I was more interested because as Finau went out and didn't make a bogey for the first three rounds again, but he was right there. I think tied with Taylor Pendrith entering this round. Maybe one ahead. Yeah. He was tied. It was the exact moment that he has found himself in in numerous times in his career what's like all right you're the better player you are by far the better player you're the Ryder cup star taylor pendrith is going to try to play in president's cups but will not be guaranteed to reach that point in his career like tony you're the big fish go out and win it in the past you kind of haven't like someone has chased you down someone shot 63 to your 69 and beaten you out of that spot Mm -hmm. and like I was curious if this week would would be any different or if the Minnesota week would mean anything for this week um, or if he loses to Taylor Pendrith, finishes second again, does that undo everything that he accomplished in Minnesota? Like does losing yeah. in a in I a was thinking field? about that. God, like what if he finishes second this week? What if he collapses down the stretch and finishes second? And so like – I would say we are analytically inclined and really this is just if you look into the entire sample size of his whole career, you're going to take second a bunch and you're going to win probably fewer times than that. And he was due a certain number of victories and now he's kind of checking those boxes. Like he could have done it at Riviera or in any number of other places. And now it's kind of finally hitting what I think about when I think of it right now is that it actually feels like a bigger peak for some way. Like he's making it look easy. He's not making any bogeys and he's putting extremely well. And so I just wonder, I think about this all the time. Is this Tony Finau's peak? 
Mm. You know, he won the Northern Trust. We don't have to answer this question. We can't answer this question. But is this his peak? Because we see guys go through these little like in fuego stretches. Scotty Scheffler went on one earlier this year. Cam Smith has kind of been on one, but it's been elongated. But like these in fuego stretches from guys that are in the 12 to 25th spot in the world ranking. It's like, okay, well, what will your peak be? Will it be winning a big event or will it be, you know, three top fives in three straight weeks? Um, Could Tony Finau win a major? Like that could be his peak, but we also don't know if like this will be his peak and he won't reach this level again. I know it's a bit like, um, it's a little bit like, yeah, you're getting ahead of yourself. You're you're, (laughs) getting ahead of myself, but it's what I think of. It's like, holy cow. Yeah. yeah. You know, Nick Faldo said this is the best golf he's ever played. Is it true? Will that be the case in three or four years? Like, or could Tony Finau, could he be like a two-time major champion? What do you think yeah. his actual peak is? I think that there, I mean, there's clearly two schools of thought here. This is, it's where the Andy Bernard quote comes in, right? About, uh, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. Tony Finau is in the good old days right now. There's no doubt about that, but <laughs> they could just keep rolling. Like there is one school of thought that he has just ripped the the cover off and that the winds are just going to start flowing. I mean, we've known how talented he is um, for forever. We've known that he can hit the ball a ton, but it's funny this year. He has not actually gotten it done with his driver. He's he's when he's played well, it's been a more well-rounded game. That's what he's going to need to lean on going forward. Yeah. I mean, and then there's the, the pessimistic school of thought would be, Oh yeah, this is as good as it gets. But I think it's, it's unfair to even like cross that road right now because he hasn't even, he, he you know, the, the ink isn't even dry on his first place check right here. So I guess my question is like how significant these victories are um to his career and and i'll answer it i guess i feel like extremely (laughs) significant he's now doubled his win total uh he had the puerto rico open he had the playoff event last year now he has yeah last week you could maybe poke holes and call that a little bit of a flimsy victory because the strength of field was so low scott piercy was leading etc etc this week just this week makes it validates last week and it adds another victory to it too so this is this changes the way that I think we should think about Tony Finau. This changes the way that Tony Finau will get talked about. And God, that yeah. must be a good feeling for him. Yeah. Well, he said it afterwards. Like <laughs> he feels it's important for his kids to see that he fails and still wins. Like he can, that you can look at like a crushing playoff loss. Like he's lost in playoffs <laughs> on the PGA tour numerous times. And you can still come out of that and be a champion. His peak, we've been talking about it, is not finishing second 10 different times or 12 different times on the PGA Tour in the last five years. Like Acknowledging how talented you are and actually making good on it, I think that that's maybe the lesson he's probably trying to to share with his kids right mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah, it's good. It, he's going to be on the President's Cup team. He might, frankly, need to be a horse on the President's Cup team that's coming up in a couple months. Like, Yeah. Actually, like, not even two months. Like the president's cup will be here in like eight weeks from now. So, uh, yeah, all, all good things for Mr. Fino. It just must be such a good feeling to, I mean, look, if he had finished his career with, well, if he had finished his career with just the Puerto Rico open win, that would have been tragic from like a legacy perspective. 
And then if he had just, you know, gotten one more and then slid off into irrelevance, then again, it's like, wow, what an underperformer. Now, no matter what, he's established a pretty high floor for his career. Now that he's won four tournaments on the PGA Tour, we expect a ton more. But look, yeah, he's now he's now checked off this box of like winning a bunch on the PGA Tour, closing some tournaments out. His numbers are really good this year. Uh, I mean, they'll go up after this week, but it's just been the putter that's held him back. 16th in strokes gained off the tee, 12th approach the green, 43rd around the green, and then 142nd in putting. Mm. So that's where he's been losing strokes um, to the field. So on weeks when that putter gets hot and everything else, you know, cooperates, an average week for him and a good putting week equals contention. That's encouraging. You know who I thought about today? Martin. I thought Trainer. about his. No, I thought about his former caddy. Oh, part of part of Finau's story. Now, this might be something I think about because I am a caddy. <laughs> but part of Tony's story, like coming up, is that he was extremely good friends with with his caddy, who he, you know, went to the Masters with that first time, finished in the top ten, kind of rose onto the Ryder Cup scene with this caddy. And then he kind of basically looked at it and is like, look, Boyd Summerhays is a great coach. I'm a great player, but the results are not coming. Mm -hmm. We got to change something. And he kind of had a a bit of a frosty like exit for his caddy, changed direction there. And it happened kind of abruptly. And like suddenly his new caddy is like doing everything like that he needs him to be. And it just... There's a lot of times that like people get close to being really great. Tony Fina was close to being like this good, I think, mm-hmm. a couple years ago with that with that old caddy. Uh, I don't even remember the guy's name at this point, but basically, it's just something to like kind of remember about when these little peaks happen. Is that people come kind of are along for the ride, and sometimes they marker band. I think dumped. was the former caddy, right? Yeah, yeah, and sometimes they get dumped, and like. You're of all people that are left thinking like what could have been. It's that guy right now. Sorry, correction. Mark Urbanic is the current caddy. I'm trying to yeah. think of what his former caddy's name was. This is good audio. Yeah, it almost doesn't matter. The point is like there is someone. <laughs> Gregory Bodine was was Tony Finau's yeah. former caddy, and you're right. They were pals for a second. That was, I mean, it was clearly the uh, most appealing open bag on tour this stuff a lot of the time happens behind closed doors like you don't even know that one caddy's gone until the next one is actually already in place Mm -hmm. um but tony finau's bag especially because it doesn't come with the job requirements of caddying for someone like bryson DeChambeau, where you're working who knows how many hours you know laying on the ground measuring these those things happen like how many how many wins does scotty scheffler have with his caddy before ted scott None. None. Sometimes like that that force change is harsh and it it's a little uh grating to the relationship, mm-hmm. but you get over it and then like the uber talented players eventually went out and show you who they really are. Tony Fino, winner. Um Patrick Cantley played pretty nicely today, Sean. PGA tour. You know what? It's per- it's champion. Patrick Cantley's season, is it not? Seems FedEx like Cup, it feels like the it. FedEx Cup runs around. Mm-hmm. You go to these, you go to these courses where it's hot 
and muggy and green and lush and Patrick Cantlay just hits into the fairway just and he throwing hits a seven onto the green and he you know if he's putting well he's gonna peck off a couple top tens in the FedEx Cup make it to the Tour Championship make a boatload of money mm-hmm. and then set his sights on Kapalua. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or, last thought on that. Tony Finau was built for these couple weeks. I mean, Detroit Golf Club showed itself to be a, a course that favors ball strikers, but specifically bombers who are ball strikers. And uh, there's mm-hmm. just a bunch of chances to get down around par fives and two to, to turn long holes into shorter holes. So, yeah, if he was going to have a good stretch, this was definitely a pretty good week to do it. He moves to number seven in the FedEx Cup, Sean, as I'm sure you were dying to know. How about the livers? Let's talk about what's been live. going on. What's been going on with the livers? I was not there this week, uh, but a whole bunch of other people were at Live Golf. Um, I think most importantly, uh, former President Donald Trump, who was there today, was there all week. It really changed the tenor of the whole the whole league. I would say, Sean. I mean, I think there was always going to be a serious political element to this. I mean. Paul Casey has talked about it in the past, you know, until right before he joined Live. Sports are always political, right? This was political because uh, it was funded by the Saudis, because that was thorny, because all of this is really complex. Um, But yeah, this week it felt like golf entered the culture wars. And uh, I don't think that that's probably a good thing for the game (laughs) at large, just because it's like, Somehow this is not a good thing for society at large, man. No, yeah, this has become an (laughs) uber divisive thing instead of everyone sort of acknowledging, yeah, this is this is thorny and there's a you know multiple valid ways of thinking about it. Um, Yeah, we've fully entered into the uh, into the culture war stage of this game. Uh, Trump is is now really going to be a big supporter of this tour, and you know, as a divisive figure, I think that that's going to be an interesting reality for its future. Um, Did you have any observations on that front from afar? Well, I guess what's most interesting to me is that this was his first opportunity, I think in his mind to jump at it, to, to Mm -hmm. seize upon it. Like he did not say anything about live golf a month ago. Didn't talk about it during the London event. Um, But I believe it was like 10 days ago or so that he made his own public statement and said, the players on the PGA tour who are not taking this live golf money, you're going to be sorry. Yeah. Um, now, whether you agree with that or not, doesn't really matter. He, he finally kind of came out and said it. He hosted this week. He, it, what it sounds like he used the actual seal of the United States presidency to like all over the golf course on golf carts, on towels. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe that that's something that you can legally do. <laughs> so that will be in the news the next couple of days. Um, and from what I read, the biggest ovations at the tournament were not for Phil Mickelson or Dustin Johnson or Bryson or any other golfer. They were for 45 Trump. He got the most ovation from everyone. Um, like Bedminster is, is Trump country, uh, in a way Trump County, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it. And so is the same thing is going to be the case down at, uh, Doral for the team event. Now, what will be interesting about that, Dylan, is so that team event is, I believe, in October. Is that right? 
Uh, yeah, I think it's the end of October. Um, so that has my interest right now because for the first time, I actually saw what the format of this team event is going to look like. Now, you and I don't necessarily support Live Golf, but I think we have supported some of the ideas that they are bringing to the professional golf ecosystem. Yeah, I think we're trying to keep an open mind to all of it, I would say, would be our, our general yeah. podcast stance. And one of those things is the team golf nature because you don't see it anywhere else right now. And the finale, the eighth event, is going to have those 12 teams playing off in little matches leading up to one final match for all the marbles for a Mm -hmm. boatload of money. And there might even be like a third place match. I I can't exactly remember, but at some point they have to give out third place money. Um, And... That is going to be actually really fun, I think. Maybe the most fun aspect of Live Golf. Like that week will actually be uh the biggest opportunity to just pay attention to just the golf. And so I I I actually think that that week, I'm speaking <laughs> obviously months in advance. I think that week will be a success even to the for lack of a better term, more woke corners of of golf Twitter, the anti-live <laughs> corners of golf Twitter. Like oh, I think that week I think that week will be will actually be fun, um, and it could provide a lot of fun aspects that we only really get to see in May when Arizona State plays against Oregon in the NCAA tournament. Like, mm-hmm. like it's going to be strictly team golf really happening that week, and that will be a, a success. I'm saying, and it'll happen at Trump's course, and Trump will be there too, and so like. I think the peak of live golf will take place during a really down time of year on the PGA tour and a really like important time of like election season and where Trump is probably going to be announcing his intentions for the 20, like it's going to be a very chaotic month. There will have been more people committing to the live series. September and October are going to be, I think pretty wacky and that week in particular, I think will be a good week for Trump slash live golf. And, uh, just, I want people to know that you heard it here first when we talk about it again in a couple months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that my, my biggest point with all of this is like, this will now become, or maybe has already become uh, the sort of thing where people will assume, okay, if you are a supporter of live golf, it's, it's sort of synonymous with being a big fan of, of Trump. And if you are not, it's because you don't like Trump and, I think it sucks anytime anything gets reduced uh, to something yeah. that black and white, that simple. Because man, but it's that's just it's just the way the world is right now. And I think that we like sports because they are often not the way the world is. They're often unifiers. They kind of transcend things like that. Uh, instead, it's well, like, they're also often a meritocracy, right? Yeah, yeah, and they're off, often a meritocracy. Here, it's it just feels like we're sifting um, politically by tour <laughs> somehow. I mean, the PGA Tour, no one would have ever thought of it as a like a left leaning organization or a group of individuals <laughs> or anything. So I, I don't even think it's like a comparison that totally checks out. But yeah, I mean, just trying to think through this in real time, Sean, that part of it i mean it's sort of the same the same crew that has always desired to keep politics out of sports now of course here we are with politics literally political figures standing on the 18th green at so who won henrik stenson 
Stenson won by how much? Uh, I think two, something like two okay. shots. Uh, Matthew Wolf, I think, got second. So DJ was maybe in there, second or third. Um, pretty interesting winner, to be honest, because Henrik Stenson. The most interesting winner. Who could have been more interesting? Uh, definitely nobody. I mean, easily the most interesting winner. Uh, I mean, Henrik Stenson left his post as Ryder Cup captain, which, I mean, financially has now paid off already. Um well, it did before today. <laughs> it had already paid off, yeah. But now, even more so, he won a bunch of money for winning. I think there were there were people that were already pretty vocal in their critique of Henrik Stenson. Like, you know, he couldn't have even waited until the Ryder Cup season was out. Uh, there are people that have criticized him for taking the Ryder Cup captaincy, knowing exactly how this was going to play out if he then did jump to live. And the fact that taking the Ryder Cup captaincy effectively meant that he was able to negotiate a bigger deal with Liv because it meant they were stealing the crown jewel of the European Ryder Cup team. So there's there's levels to this victory. Uh, it looked like there were about 100,000 people streaming the end of the YouTube uh, series, which again, based on what lens you're looking through, you're going to say, wow, that's a ton of people watching, or you're going to say, wow, there are whatever, low-level Fortniters getting more views than that so <laughs> i don't know i mean you can tell from the tone in my voice the divisiveness around this sucks the fact that this is like a a politically thorny thing you're exhausted i, I think sucks and i am uh i am just bracing myself for the fact that this is the new reality and i want to yeah. be fair in talking about it and and thinking about it but i you know just want to be honest about the way that makes me feel yeah, well, and a win like this only makes it more polarizing because uh, I think S like Stenson's decision is at, at, at one point a huge loss for Team Europe, but then for, you know, the Team Europe good guys like Rory, oh, no, it's actually a huge win. Rory gets to kind of come in and help decide who's going to be the captain. Mm. And Luke Donald, the ultimate good guy, he's going to be the captain. So this is a victory there. But then Stenson validates why he wanted to go to live golf by winning, winning all the money. And so that's considered a little bit of a victory for the <laughs> small business owner that he is as an independent contractor. And so, yeah. These the victories that each team feels and the little losses that each team likes to shove under the rug, all that creates is greater polarity, I think, in the live golf versus PGA Tour turf yeah. war. Um, I, what has been so funny for me is I've been compiling a timeline this week of how we got here. It was an assignment that I was given for the upcoming issue the golf, of Golf Magazine. And essentially it was like just dial it down like for everybody put it in line try to tell us how we arrived at this point because so much has happened in the last four months and at so many different moments it has felt like an inevitability and also a surprise mm -hmm. and so like if you go back again to 1994 what is so interesting is just how familiar the script seems Greg Norman is the character. The announcement comes at Greg Norman's event. Fox Sports has agreed to put up the millions of dollars and broadcast the events. They agreed to do it for 10 years. Who's the president of Fox Sports? His name is David Hill. Who is the man managing all the TV operations for Live Golf right now? 
His name is David Hill. Same, same guy? Same person. It's the same person. It'd be sick if they got another guy. It would have been David crazy Hill. if it was a different David <laughs> Hill. No doubt about that. But essentially, the one thing that I am taking away from it all is that there are no coincidences. Not at all. Like the, the fact that Norman did it and immediately had blowback from Arnold Palmer at a players-only meeting. We've had a bunch of players-only meetings this year. Then the commissioner, Tim Fincham, goes out there and kind of peacocks and basically says, ah, no, Norman and I are on good terms. We agree that he's not going to go forward with this stuff. Norman, a couple of days later, says, no, I am going forward with this stuff. All Norman wants back in the 90s is to have eight events. How many events are being played on Live Golf this year? Eight events. He wanted to do it all while having a 15 uh, event tour schedule, which is the only thing that all these players like Sergio and, and Phil are saying. We want to be able to set our own schedule regardless. What did Tim Fincham say to players? You cannot do both. What did Jay Monahan tell the players? You cannot do both. Uh, what did Tim Fincham do? Essentially, he created three WGC events out of thin air that were very similar to what Greg Norman wanted to have happen. What has Jay Monahan done? He's really kind of created megawatt <laughs> top 50 player events yeah. out of thin air. And exactly added what three Greg essentially WGC events <laughs> for the fall too. Yeah. And so what's so funny is that like we are looking through this um, and getting surprised and essentially like the months of April through mm -hmm. July now are really just an extension of what Greg Norman tried to do in November, December of 1994. Now you may have heard that before, but like until you actually look into it and see the characters and their decision-making processes, uh, it doesn't feel quite as obvious. And yeah. I guess the one thing that I want to remind people is like, you could go back through our archives. You can go back through the drop zone episodes this year and think Dylan and I are like flip flopping. Well, really we're just reacting to like in February live golf thought it was dead. <laughs> like they thought Greg Norman. So. Did. Yeah. They thought they it was, did. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they thought they were screwed. And in March they were basically off, offered a golden ticket of like, hey, here's another $2 billion. Give me a tournament stat. They did. They hired some of the best people in the world, which is what Greg Norman was trying to do multiple decades ago. And they pulled it off with all that money. Um, again, like Greg Norman did not have the commitment on the dotted line of players in uh, May of 2022. And he didn't have it in November of 1994 but we had it was a bunch of verbals from these guys mm -hmm. Sevi Ballesteros gave him a verbal yes uh, Nick Price the number one player in the world basically said Greg you're my friend I'll give you a verbal yes so long as it doesn't screw me over with the PGA Tour that's all he was being given by a bunch of these players over the last couple years is verbal yeses yeah finally Dustin Johnson Phil Mickelson Bryson Shambo like put him over the edge it's kind of no wonder that this thing has a lot of momentum right now. Like yeah. you can't be surprised at the momentum it's built, but you can also just look back and be like, holy crap, five months ago, this thing, yeah. Rory said it was quote dead in the water. <laughs> like that's, and he's gone back and said, you know, I uh, got a little out over my skis on that one. The interesting thing, Sean, to- Can you blame him though? Oh no, I mean- I think we were we were definitely more cautious than that. You in particular, I think you had a you had a pretty good inside track on the whole thing. You said that week, look, this thing is not going away. It has not gone yeah. away. 
not only has it not gone away, Sean, I would say any of the things that we or others thought might stand in its way, there has not really been a significant speed bump even, I would say, since since they announced the comeback of Live, I would say that there has really only been forward progress for the tour. I mean, any of the the moral obligations haven't really seemed to stick in terms of guys leaving. The yeah. the you know the protests have not. Again, they've they've sort of gotten past that stuff. Guys have gotten used to answering awkward questions. You know that none of the none of the little things are deal breakers. You know, around the edge, there seem like they're there are people that are going to watch and are going to be excited about watching how many people that is remains to be seen. There are a ton of questions left. There haven't really been any significant setbacks since the Phil thing, which seemed like a big setback. I don't know. And they're moving forward. Greg Norman did a big interview with the New York post. And one of the things that he said that was most interesting was like, look, the PGA tour is doing the exact same thing it did last time. As you just laid out, Sean, like Norman is well aware of that. But unlike us, who were not in the golf media scene at that time, <laughs> Norman was front and center in this thing. And here he is. Yeah. He's learned whatever lessons he's learned from uh, from that. He certainly has access to a lot more money than he did at the time. And as a result, I think he gets to you know, walk around feeling like he's got the biggest stack of chips because that's what he's got. Yeah. Uh, you know who also was involved at the time, but not not obviously involved in the same way. Um, but like Phil Mickelson was on tour. He was getting mm. approached. Like players, what's so funny is that players had little envelopes slipped under their hotel room <laughs> doors like in the middle of the night at the Johnny Walker Classic in Jamaica. And like that's kind of how the initial approach was being done for this big event because you know, Greg Norman was a big player on tour. He couldn't be like leading the 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 rivals against the tour. Now he can because he's not on tour anymore. Um, it's all very cyclical, is guess what we're kind of getting to. And um, it didn't have to be, but Greg Norman seems hell bent on making it happen. And he's yeah. a shark. He got he got pissed off too. <laughs> yeah, and he got access to a ton of money. And look. Guys, guys are making way more money on live than they would on the PGA tour. I think there's a lot of reasons that it's easy to understand why guys are leaving. I think that's in some ways a different question. Defending guys right to leave and choice to leave feels to me like a different question than the macro question of like, is this good for golf? And is this good for the fan at home? We'll keep pondering that one. We'll have plenty of, of weeks and months and years to ponder that. I think Sean. Yeah, we will. But what's interesting, though, is is this good for golf will never be conclusively answered. I would like to break it up at some point. The next time I go to a live golf event, hopefully will later this year, Chicago event Mm -hmm. um, by the time I get home. And I think the question needs to be asked is, is this good for pro golf? Because like golf is going to survive. The yes. amateur golf will survive yeah, here. Yeah. But we take our inspiration from pro golf. We buy golf clubs because of pro golfers. We play these courses that they host major championships at. We go out of our way to do a lot of that. We spend our money really as a trickle-down economic of pro golfers. And um, a lot of people are now kind of saying like, oh, this is going to end up like tennis. This is going to end up like the tennis world where the only time people pay attention are during the four majors. And like, frankly... 
Do you watch any pro tennis outside of the four majors? No, but I love those four majors, Sean. Yeah, and I, I don't think that that's an extremely off-base uh, like prognostication, but that would be bad for pro golf. Uh, it has to be. like It is these temporary gains by live golf players that could ultimately make for a very watered-down, only four events matter system. We're not the first people to tell listeners that, but we're inching closer to it. Like suddenly the world golf rankings thing. Yeah. It's a bullet in somebody's chamber. We don't really know whose chamber it sits in. Um, the, the, the majors, that's what people keep pointing their compass towards. Like who's going to make a call is Fred Ridley going to ban players. Davis Love and Zach Johnson were, you know, interviewed this week by Michael Rosenberg, and Davis Love is like, "Well, we might not, we might need to have players boycott a major in order to really get our point across." Yeah, like, that's one not going to happen. Right. Two, absolute crazy talk. Um, but like, that's where Davis Love, major champion himself, captain of the Presidents Cup, that's where he's looking now. That's a very like defeatist mentality that he was not thinking about months ago, but like, yeah, I don't know. And the other part of his mindset that's interesting, Sean is like, he, they're asking Davis and uh, Zach Johnson, like, okay, are you guys trying to figure out, like, are you guys talking to players and seeing who's going? And they're like, yeah, kind of, but also they've just lied to us before. They're talking about <laughs> Brooks Kepka. They thought was just a safe guy to consider for the, the president's cup, but then he turns and leaves. So they're like, yeah, I mean, sure we're trying to figure it out but you also just you don't know from talking to people if they're going to go or not yeah it's not a good time to necessarily be like an industry leader or even like a media member because we're we are trying to sit on the fence i think <laughs> it's <laughs> divisive you listen stuff. to this podcast we like mixed you kind of try to it all yeah you try to try to point the game in the right direction and also like leave it up to the people above us, the more important people. Like, look, our job is at the disposal of Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepka in very many ways mm -hmm. that they understand. And, and we have to have grown to understand this year. Um, it's up to them to make their decisions. We cover it and talk yeah. about it and, and react to it. Um, we are on the bottom end of the totem pole. We're also, that I being, think it's important to note. We're not, we're not employees of the PGA Tour. We're certainly not uh, like advocates of the PGA Tour. I mean, people say that sort of stuff kind of all the time. Maybe not about us specifically, but anyone that's like doubting the future of live, it's not a, it's not a pro PGA Tour like that's where their money gets made sort of thing. That would that's truly not our relationship to professional golf at all um, i'd love to get paid by the pga tour for sure and and look if we were getting paid by one league or the other there's no doubt that live would have deeper pockets to pay us than the pga tour would that's not it yeah, i think and you'd know it Holy i think cow, it's natural you know it. as people in the media as people who cover golf who think about golf a lot and what it all means i mean we talk so much about what this stuff means i think it's natural to then side with history and with significance and okay tony finau's two wins this week means something because there's the context of how many wins ricky fowler has and how many wins dustin johnson had at a certain point in his career and tiger woods had before that and 
so our inclination and our loyalty is to uh, significance, to context, to like the fact that this stuff matters and has mattered. And I think that's where just a brand new league out of nothingness. I think that's where you see some friction and some resistance to it. All right. Our listeners are forgiven for wanting this segment to end. And I'm going to do that. You want to talk about Muirfield, Sean? (laughs) First, I'd like to talk about custom golf clubs, Dylan. We talk about custom golf clubs with our friends all the time. And we are often asked, where's the best place to buy custom golf clubs? For us, the answer is easy because only one place offers the lowest prices on custom built clubs. And that is Fairway Jockey, fairwayjockey.com. Do your homework, folks. No one will beat their prices and you can save up to 15%. When you're talking about bigger ticket purchase like that, that honestly nets out to a lot of money that you can save. So build your custom golf set today at fairwayjockey.com. Sean, what can people look forward to at Muirfield this week? And will you be there? Well, I'm going to hope to not go on like a, another full rant <laughs> about a topic in golf. Uh, because it's an extremely happy time um, in in golf. I'm living in Scotland. I'm covering the women first women's major. I've really oh, been yeah. to. In I mean, a look, years. I think you've covered that. I think we've. I think we grasped your happiness. I think sound, things yeah. sound pretty good in the general Fife area. Um, but really, what I'm looking to is kind of at at first just the history that's going to be made. Look, there are a couple really important, great golf courses historic golf clubs that I think were yanked into the 21st century for lack of a better term, kicking and screaming Pine Valley is one of them. Uh, Augusta national is one of them. Muirfield, the uh, honorable society of whatever golfers at Muirfield, I forget what the actual name is, but Muirfield golf club is the host of the women's uh, open this week. And they were not going to host this event 10 years ago. They were on the men's rota. They had not hosted a women's open. They did not have female members 10 years ago. And I, I believe they didn't have them five years ago. And at some point the RNA said the buck stops here. If you want to host the open, the men's open, if you want to stay in our rota, mm-hmm. you need to have female members. If we are going to prop you up as one of the best clubs in the world, which, you know, as far as the golf course goes, it is one of the five best courses in the world, according to all the rankings. If you want to host the biggest event potentially in the world, you need to change your membership practices. And the the first vote that they had, the men's membership at Muirfield, said nah we're good (laughs) we don't we don't want we don't want female members it was not uh obviously a hundred percent vote but it was not a definitive enough vote to allow female membership and so it took a second vote and eventually it did pass they do have female members now but the first open that they are hosting is not a men's open their first open that they're hosting is the women's open this week and that is obviously history. It will not be lost on any of the LPGA players uh, taking part this week. We've talked about it on this podcast. They've talked about it at all of their majors. They want to play the greatest courses in the world. They want to play at the places where golf history is made. And there is a hell of a lot of golf history that's been made at Muirfield, and none of it's happened 
with female golfers. So that in itself is is pretty damn awesome. Like, could this be the week that Lexi Thompson breaks through and gets it done and like stamps her career with an open victory, a second major? That would be amazing to happen at Muirfield of all places, right? Um, if Nellie, uh, if Lydia Ko like jumps off the Spieth Island that she's on and stamps her career with another major and happens at Muirfield, like that's a huge deal that we will we will actually remember this Women's Open more than frankly other Women's Opens of the past because of of all the history and context here, and so that's really what I'm looking forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to your coverage, Sean. Uh, I think you better get some sleep because otherwise you're going to start this week on a major deficit. We want you fresh. We want you out there s- scouting and studying Muirfield. Uh, First thing I'm doing, I'm going to the the qualifier. There's a Monday qualifier for this major. What? Yeah. Uh, I forgot that this was the case, but there are Monday qualifiers for the Women's Open every time that they host this event. And so the qualifier is at North Barrick Golf Club, the West Links, uh, one of so the best cool. courses I've played all summer long. And so I'll be down at the qualifier tomorrow, trailing my girl Mel Reed. And um, she's playing with the kind of the local hero. Clara Young is a North Barrick girl trying to qualify for the Open from her home club. She's been playing it all summer long. So that's the story tomorrow. I love it. Um, well, follow along with Sean all week. Uh, check us out at golf.com. Guys, thanks for listening to The Drop Zone. We love you. We'll see you next week. See you soon.